0: heard this conversation come up before talking about how social connection is really crucial to your well-being, especially during, uh, during COVID when there was so much isolation and it really became normal for so many people. We heard a lot about how detrimental that can be. So should we have public health guidelines to help us make sure that we don't steer ourselves into loneliness and isolation? We're gonna get into it right now with our guest, who's Assistant Professor in Health Sciences at Simon Fraser University, Dr. Kiffer George Card. Dr. Card, thanks so much for making the time, really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Let's just define, if we can, from your perspective, how crucial is social connection as a remedy to loneliness?
1: You know, most of us have an intuitive sense that social connection is good for us, that it's good for our mental health and physical health. But many of us misunderstand the extent to which uh, being alone or isolated can impact your well-being. Uh, Studies show that um, it's as risky as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, and that's a huge physiological impact. You've got to think that we evolved in small, close-knit communities to be together together. And when we are separated from each other, there's physical and sociological consequences.
0: Can you describe how? how How is the connection being alone as damaging as smoking 15 cigarettes a day?
1: Yeah, there's a number of ways. Uh, first and foremost, when we're alone, we have to cope with that feeling of being alone and isolated. That means we might engage in unhealthy behaviors. Uh, you know, eating, uh, you know, lack of exercise and other, you know, substance use even. Um, The second, when you're uh, alone, you feel more hypervigilant. If you think of it in the environments that we evolved in, in which the human brain evolved in, um, being alone was nearly a death sentence. You could not survive without your, you know, tribe. And so uh, being able to connect with other people is really critical physiologically. And when you're not connected, you're hypervigilant, and that just elevates your entire stress response. And so that means um, you, you experience more inflammation, lower immune response. And then finally, the third way is that when you're isolated, you don't have the ability to rely on others for social support and distribute that stress, you know, and resolve that stress in your life. And mm-hmm. so all three of these mechanisms kind of work together to create that negative health effect.
0: So, are we noticing more of a trend of social isolation because of COVID?
1: Yeah, I would say that uh, we all, at least uh, intuitively, know that COVID has massively disrupted our lives. Um, however, many of the trends that we see in social disconnection have been going on for decades or even centuries. Um, in the long term, you know, the the industrialization, the movement into big urban centers, that. That resulted in the kind of deterioration of traditional social networks in which we usually had about 150 people who you spent your entire life with. Um, as we moved into more developed societies, uh, people uh, you know connected through communities, organizations, their church and faith groups. But over the past several decades, even those forms of connection have deteriorated and moved online. And we are seeing less and less in-person social connection. COVID really just exacerbated that bringing many people into isolation, kind of starting a cycle of vigilance and unwillingness to go out because they're afraid of catching the virus and other, you know, social considerations. And so I think it's definitely an impact, but, you know, really it's part of this long story that we've been experiencing and how we're choosing to shape our society.
0: And I, I think imagining what that society is going to look like uh, in the coming years is very interesting. And I'm curious if you think that we are positioning ourselves to become more or less lonely lonely. how How do we define being alone? I mean, if you have connections online, does that play into loneliness? Does it have to be in-person connections that are really the most beneficial?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really great question. I totally think in many ways we're moving in the wrong direction. You know, increasingly uh, people are working from home. They're not necessarily going out and and getting the sort of social connections they need. Um, I think certainly there is in-person benefits. When you have somebody there in front of you, there's a physicality that really seems to matter in terms of people's emotional Uh, responses to each other and the way that we calm each other with our presence seems to be important physiologically. Um, You know, but there's also, you know, technology can be a tool. It's not necessarily just the enemy, right? People often set in person versus offline. I think internet can be a great resource to, you know, arrange for social connections. And if you use social media actively, you're using it to actively connect and just, just not passively consume the information on your screen as you scroll, uh, you know, through the websites, um, then, then you really stand to, to benefit from those in-person or from those connections. But generally, in-person connection is really what seems to have uh, the most important benefit because we really can engage in kind of deeper, meaningful connections that way
0: and i want to get to some of the guidelines that you and your your team have outlined that could really help us to curb loneliness and and try to steer us out of being socially disconnected but i i do just have one more question when it comes to where we could potentially be going and we, earlier in the show we were talking about you know the ethics of ai and its involvement with us its relationship to us do you feel that we're going down a road when it comes to ai that could be that could be detrimental to people or or do you think that that could really play a role um, Um, You know, for example, speaking to an AI and and, you know, having a relationship with it, could that be beneficial to someone who otherwise has no connection?
1: Yeah, you know, that's actually something me and my research team have uh, recently, as everybody has kind of piqued their interest in the Mm -hmm. role that AI might play. Um, And certainly, I mean, we all think that there could be massive benefits to AI in terms of people's lives, in terms of uh, the labor Um, you know, that we have to do on kind of menial tasks, that maybe AI could do that for us. Um, But when it comes to our social lives, I think that's a really interesting question, because I, again, see pros and cons. I think, you know, you could imagine AI, if you're using it, say, for mental health, most people don't have access to a mental health care provider. Mm -hmm. And so maybe talking to an AI to work through some of those things can be helpful. And then you don't necessarily have to burden other people or get information that you might feel uncomfortable disclosing, say, to a partner who maybe is somebody you want to talk about with the AI. So I think there is some potential for AI to fulfill some form of role in our social lives and, you know, addressing our social needs. But certainly AI can't do it all. People know they're talking to a robot. Um, And I think, you know, there's, there's missing those physical aspects and physical dimensions of having somebody that you can really turn on you know, when you when you need a ride to the doctor or, you know, that's something AI can't provide. And so, um, you know, I think that throughout our society, we've constantly marched in that direction of finding ways to outsource Mm -hmm. fundamental things like social support. You know, we've taken that away from our friends. Most of us think, oh, I can only talk about those topics with a therapist. But no, your friend is right there. You can talk to your friends. You can talk to your family. And I think We need to really reverse that trend and remember that community is really where a lot of that responsibility to find support lies
0: and reminding us of how important that community really is and how beneficial that is to our overall health, not just our mental health but our physical health as well uh, is what you have outlined in public health guidelines or the suggestion of what public health guidelines could really look like to help steer people into maybe a healthier lifestyle. I want to talk a little bit about those guidelines, what they look like and how they could potentially be enforced. Uh, But Dr. Card, we do just have to take a very short break. So we're going to come right back into this conversation. I promise we'll be very quick uh, talking about public health guidelines and could they help stop loneliness? Our guest is Assistant Professor in Health Sciences at Simon Fraser University, Dr. Kifford George Card. We'll be right back in three minutes. Learning that loneliness can be very damaging to our overall health. So should we put in some public guidelines to make sure that we don't get to that point where our loneliness or our social isolation is really harming us? Our guest is Assistant Professor in Health Sciences at Simon Fraser University, Dr. Kifford George Card. Dr. Card, thanks so much for sticking around on hold. Appreciate your time this afternoon.
1: Yeah, no worries.
0: So when we're talking about enforcing or or placing health guidelines around trying to steer us away from loneliness, what would those guidelines look like?
1: Yeah, so guidelines are just basically, you know, strategies to help people know kind of what is the minimum that you need or, you know, what do you actually need to be socially healthy and fulfilled? And so, you know, those can deal with how many friends you should have, uh, how much time you should try to spend with your friends and family, um, you know, where you should prioritize investing that social energy that you've got.
0: What would some of those recommendations really, really look like? Is there a certain number that people should be trying to
1: strive for? Yeah, you know, this is something that we've really um, been trying to understand. We're convening global experts in social health, social psychology, Uh, loneliness, isolation, to really uh, develop a consensus set of guidelines. Uh, Some of our preliminary work in this based on the Canadian Social Connection Survey has been used to kind of answer some of these basic questions that maybe haven't been the focus of previous research. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, for example, we see that uh, three to five close friends kind of seems to be that magic number where you always have somebody that you can call on for support, and people who achieve that, three to five close friends, they have the lowest levels of loneliness, uh, you know, lowest levels of depression and anxiety, and that's kind of regardless of the level of introversion or extroversion that they experience. And so everybody seems to need something around that three to five friendship mark. Um, but of course, you know, nearly 70% of Canadians have less than five friends, and so. Uh, It means that there's still a lot of uh, work to be done to making sure that people aren't just relying on their partner or spouse, but they actually have that supportive community such that they always have somebody to turn to.
0: Okay, so three to five friends for all of us. That's the recommended amount. How much time should we be spending with them?
1: Yeah, time is a really good question. We kind of have found that between one to three hours, so that's like seven to 21 hours a week, that might seem like a lot. The average Canadian, according to our survey, gets about 14 hours of social interaction per week. So that's, you know, talk around the coffee cooler, that's uh, hanging out at dinner, that's spending time with friends on the weekends all those sorts of social from both your family and your friends. Most people want something like 18 hours. So we're getting about four fewer hours than we want. Mm. And is what we're saying is you probably need probably three more hours than you think you need. And so, um, you know, that 20 hours a week or one to three hours per day really seems to be the amount of time where, again, loneliness, anxiety, depression, those similar symptoms seem to be minimized.
0: How how would you enforce these guidelines or or could you?
1: You know, I don't, think, uh, I don't think it's about enforcement so much as it's building awareness. Um, most people just don't understand. We were taught, for example, eating fruits and veggies is good, half your plate green. We were taught you need 120 minutes of exercise, you know, each week. But nobody was necessarily taught that it's actually consequential to your health. And so while most of us, you know, have diets that we're following or we have exercise guidelines, we make time to go to the gym we don't necessarily consciously prioritize social connection in our lives. So these guidelines really serve as first and foremost something to build awareness, to teach us that, you know, social connection is important, that you need to be doing it, that your body and your mind need to be connecting with others and that policies at all levels of government and your job really need to recognize and respect that. So, you know, are we building workplaces where employees can interact or are we building um, you know, workplaces where people have time to go home to their families. You know, there's lots of different, I guess, policy consequences or like other decisions that might sp- that might spring off from these guidelines. But we're really starting with that key principle: we need to educate people just so that everybody is connected. You know, just like we do the other aspects of health in our lives.
0: Yeah, and I think making it something that's normal to talk about, I would argue that there's likely a stigma surrounding this. When you say 70% of Canadians have less than five friends, I wonder if 70% of Canadians would admit that.
1: I that just the number of people who, who, who have no friends, they have nobody they can count on or rely on. You look at the number one predictor of depression, and it's not having a close kind of confidant to confide in. You look at the number one predictor of happiness, it's not having or being unhappy across your life, it's not having those close relationships. These are things that are common experiences, but you're right. To say, you know, there's almost something self-deprecating about saying that you don't have friends because that's interpreted as like, Oh, there must be something wrong with you, right? But people don't realize it's actually the way we've built our society. It's really hard to be, you know, embedded in a social network these days.
0: Dr. Card, thanks so much for your research and uh, for your conversation this afternoon.
1: Yeah, thanks for letting me share it.
0: Of course. That's Dr. Kiffer George Card, Assistant Professor in Health Sciences at Simon Fraser University, uh, talking about how important it is that social connection be a part of our lives. So three to five friends and about 21 hours of social interaction a week.